And we continue to update you on the story developing in Niagara Falls, where two people are dead in a vehicle explosion at the Rainbow Bridge. This is uh, the uh, entry point between the U.S. and Canada, the border crossing there uh, near Niagara Falls. We understand the FBI is in on this investigation. Uh, We understand that the four points of entry in that area have now been closed as this investigation unfolds. We understand there was a car coming into the U.S. uh, uh, from Canada and that a that it exploded at a secondary uh, checkpoint. Uh, you know, when you go through the first checkpoint, sometimes they ask you to pull ahead and they do a further investigation on your vehicle. That's uh, reportedly where this incident took place. This is according to several uh, uh, news affiliates in the Buffalo area who are reporting on this. Uh, we have uh, checked in with folks at the Ambassador Bridge at the tunnel who tell us that they are waiting for a briefing. We uh, we don't know if there's any uh, further heightened security there. We talked to Andy Arena, former FBI agent, who tells us you can well imagine that there would be some heightened uh, security going on at all border crossings, physical border crossings, due to what's happened here until they can get to the bottom of it. We uh, Brian Morton did get a call from one of our listeners telling us that on the Blue Water Bridge, um, the wait time is getting uh, into the United States, coming into the United States, 90 minutes for cars, 60 to 70 minutes for commercial vehicles. Uh, again, that's coming into the United States. Of course, this is a very, needless to say, right, the heavy, 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 heavy travel day uh, for everyone. So we wish everyone safe travels today, and we'll continue to keep an eye on what's developing in Niagara Falls. Well, a ceasefire agreement between the Hamas militant group and the uh, and Israel has now been confirmed. We woke up to this uh, news this morning. The Israeli government said that under this deal, Hamas has to free over uh, has is free over four day period to at least uh, 50 of the roughly 240 hostages taken on October 7th in the attack at Israel in exchange 150 Palestinian prisoners prisoners will be released by Israel. That's what was agreed upon. They agreed now to have a ceasefire to have this happen. Some of the other details we don't know yet, but we wanted to get a good overview on what this means. Howard uh, Lupovich uh, is joining us, professor of history and director of the Khan Haddow Center for Ju- uh, Judaic Studies. And we welcome you into the program today. Uh, to give us a little insight, what are your thoughts when you first heard about this deal? Well, thanks, thanks for having me on. Uh, well, first, it's obviously good news for the 50 hostages and for the 50 families in Israel who have been waiting very anxiously for any kind of good news like that. So in that sense, it's definitely good news. I would also say, though, this is not, a, this is not the end. This is the beginning because there's still nearly 200 more hostages who are still be held, being held by Hamas. So while this is the first step, uh, it's important to remember that it's certainly not the end. Eventually, all of these hostages have to be freed by Hamas, and hopefully sooner rather than later. But the fact that Hamas uh, was willing to make this gesture, I, I think a positive sign, and hopefully it will continue in that way. So um, I have so many questions about uh, this deal and what your thoughts are about it. But my first thought was when I heard that there would be 40 or 50 people um, – <laughs> How, what, which 50 people? Who's doing the picking? How do we know who the 50 people are? I don't know that they have a solid list 
of the 240 hostages yet. Uh, so how, how do you think that's going to take place? Well, you're right. We don't know. We know it's, we know it's 40 or 50 people, hopefully 50. Um, as far as who they're going to let out, nobody knows. This is anyone's guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I imagine they'll give preference to women and children. The children will be the first to be released. I imagine there'll be some consideration to release hostages who are not Israelis but are from other countries, right. uh, a move like that. But it's anybody's guess. Uh, also, uh, one of the things I'm curious about is this ceasefire. Obviously, the, you can't have uh, hostilities, active hostilities going on and trying to release uh, hostages in this way. And, and we can't forget that there's a 150 Palestinian prisoners that they want released as well. So, but a lot of people have said that any ceasefire will mean that this will be an opportunity for Hamas to reorganize, to re-strengthen itself, and that it could just spell disaster. Do you do you feel that way? Do you think that that's what, what might happen here? It's possible, but I think that the release of these 50 hostages, it's worth taking the risk because it's a four-day ceasefire. It's not a permanent ceasefire. Uh, as far as I know, the ceasefire doesn't mean Israel is going to withdraw. So in other words, they're not going to lose the territory they gained. But yes, there is the possibility that Hamas could be regrouped. But there's also the possibility that the IDF could use these four days to gather more intel mm-hmm. to prepare the next move. The other big problem with the ceasefire is in the past, Hamas doesn't have the greatest record of being reliable in uh, hearing to ceasefires. So, I mean, one of the big questions is, are they actually going to stop shooting missiles for the next four days? Mm-hmm. In the past, that hasn't always been the case, and we hope it's the case because it'll give Israelis four-day respite not to have to have sirens and missiles being shot at them. Uh, I have a question about that, too. Um, Hamas doesn't strike me as being uh, a well-oiled machine, military machine, and that, uh, okay, so the group that's done the negotiating says, all right, four days, ceasefire, got that, but there may be factions who won't adhere to that. Well, well, I mean, I think you're, you're personally right. First of all, it's not good to, un, to underestimate Hamas as a military force. They're not a conventional army, but they've proven themselves to be effective, especially in the last two months. But as you say, the difficulty in Hamas in, in adhering to a ceasefire is trying to get every Hamas operative to follow it, partly because, I mean, the, 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 the ideology of Hamas is there's a there's a kind of zealotry involved here. And yeah. Each each Hamas fighter really believes what they're doing is is for some larger, greater, sometimes theological purpose. The other thing is in Hamas's own charter and their own covenant, these kinds of negotiations are actually against a basic tenet of Hamas, which says no negotiations, no deals, no compromises. So that's one of the big question marks. But but given the situation. We, we can hope that Hamas will will be able to rein in their militants, not to not to, to, to attack for the next four days. Uh, Professor Howard uh, Lupovich, we want to thank you. Uh, Lupovich, I'm sorry. Found thank you for joining us, Professor of History and the Director of the Cohn Haddo Center for Judaic Studies. Good insights on what we really see as good news today, and hopefully more news to come. We'll continue here on WJR in a moment.